God is good all the time. Hey, say good morning to somebody before you're seated, okay? Tell somebody good morning. I just got to say that I was, uh, well, number one, I don't know about you, but I needed that worship. That's good stuff. I needed that. That's, that's why you come to the house of the Lord, to worship before the throne and then hear the Word of God, which gives me a chance to look into the camera and say, hey, I want to welcome all of you who are online. But if you live near a New Hope campus, it is time to come back in person. Can you show them some love and let them know? I was speaking with a New Hoper the other day. I'm not going to say her name, Ann Benson. Um, Ann Benson's been a world changer here for many, many years, and we were talking right over here. And she said, man, I just kept trying to do the online thing, but it's just different. She goes, I had to come back, and it's different. There's a flesh and a blood component to the body of Christ. Amen? And so, hey, if you're in a state or in a nation away from us, hey, you're online. We are so glad you are a part of our family. But if you're kind of on the fence, it is time to come back home. Help me welcome all the campuses. I'm talking about Garner, Sanford, Hillsboro, Kenya, already mentioned online, and those of you who are here at Durham, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, have you heard, last Sunday, a week from today, a week ago today, we baptized 62 people who went public with their faith. Celebrate them, church. And then on Friday night, we had a rooted graduation as that semester wrapped up. Look at all of these God's children right here Friday night. Give them some love for, for completing the rooted course. So exciting. And uh, before we get to the word today, I just want to kind of go ahead and, and give you guys the heads up because this will feel like a culture shock. We are going to try something in this series um, and it's such a culture shock. The church is only 19 years old. For 19 years, we've been having a response song at the end of the word. You know, we stand up, we celebrate, and we sing about the word we just heard and received. Well, today, you'll notice we, we put more worship on the front end. And when the message is over, we're just going to kind of send you guys off. So it's going to be different. But different is good. Can I get an amen? Some of you don't like, some of you are like, I love change. No, you don't. You like change when it, when it helps you. Most people, only people that really like change, babies, if you know what I mean, right? But we're going we're gonna to change it up. We're going to try this out for a little bit. And I just thought I'd let you know on the front end, uh, when the message is done, I'm going to come back out and wrap this up. And um, we're going to try it. I think it might be cool to have all of that worship on the front end and change it up for a while. Hey, Shari King is going to bring the word today. And uh, some of you know her. She is the wife of Clayton. They both spoke at our marriage conference last week. She is the mother to Jacob, Joseph, and a big dog named Theo. She and her husband founded Clayton King Ministries in 1996. They've been serving in ministry together ever since. She fulfills her calling through writing, through her podcast called Overcoming Monday, Developing Resources for Ministry and More. Her greatest desire in ministry is to help folks move forward in their faith and finish their race well, she is an author, she's a speaker, she has a podcast, she's a gifted woman. Do what you do. You know around here we always show honor where honor is due. And the Bible says give double honor to those who bring forth the word of God. So would you help me welcome Shari King to the stage today? 
church. I love this church. I'm so excited to be here again. I was so excited when Pastor Benji asked me to come back. And uh, we, man, that song that we just sang, um, hope, 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 hope. I feel like it's what we all need right now is hope. We need hope. We always need hope, but especially right now in the circumstances that we've just come out of, I feel like we just need to be like pouring hope into each other, right? It's just something we need the Lord to give us. And um, as I introduced my family today, I was telling a story um, to Pastor Benji actually just before this service. So I'm gonna start this service a little bit different because I wanna tell you guys a way that I found hope. So we're, talk, we're in a series called Killing What's Killing You. Killing What's Killing You. So I think the things that kill us are the things that take away life, are the things that keep us from believing the truth of who God is and the word of God and all the things that he has for us. It's, it's those things that try to push us down, to make our hearts hard, to cause us to doubt God, to doubt each other, to become cynical. And that's what we're talking about today is cynicism. And one of those things for me was uh, when I was growing up, uh, I was in and out of a lot of family situations. And so one thing that I did not have faith for was that I may not be able to have a family and that I wouldn't be a good mom. Those were fears that I had. And uh, recently, I was able to, uh, will you go ahead and put up the picture of my family so they can see them really fast? So this is my family. I have this family today. So you guys have heard from my husband, Clayton. We were here last year, so he's the bald guy. Um, He's definitely not my child. (laughs) So um, the other two are my kids. The one in the white shirt with the tie is my 18-year-old. He is almost 19, and he just graduated. He is super great. He felt called to the ministry, and now he's preaching. Um, and uh, it, we didn't, we felt the call in his life, but we certainly didn't push him into it. He told us he wanted to be a sports analyst, and we were gonna support him in whatever he wanted to do. And then a few years ago, he felt called to be in the ministry, and now he is definitely doing it, for sure. And then um, my other son, the tallest one of all of us, and by the way, he's probably about three inches taller than even in this picture, with the red hair, he is our 15-year-old, almost 16. So, yes, 15. And uh, he's taller than my husband now, um, although my husband tries to stand on his toes. So, um, I don't know if you've been through that situation where your kid gets taller than you. I mean, it happened for me really early, but Clayton's there now, and it's, he's struggling with it just a little, but he's good. Um, we want Joseph to be the tallest because Jacob has the out there personality, and so does Clayton, and then Joseph's a little bit more shy, and um, not shy necessarily, just not all out there, so I want him to have all the height, you know, <laughs> so he can dominate in that way. So anyway, that's my family. But I wanna let you know that when I was a senior in college, well, even just a lot of my life, I just really didn't think that would be my future. I just didn't. I didn't know that I had faith or hope that I could uh, marry someone and stay married, and then I just felt insecure about being mom, just hugely insecure. Um, But what I told uh, Pastor Benji before I came out was that he reminds me of my campus pastor that I had when I was in college. 
So my campus pastor and his family, I lived with them for a few years. No, not for a few years, for a few months. And when I did, um, I watched their family work. And in that time that I lived with them, sure they fought, sure there was discipline, sure there were things that were tense for me, but there was also love and there was faithfulness and there was commitment and there was deep-seated like just faithfulness in that family that I had never really completely experienced. Well, this past spring break, I took my kids to go and meet this couple. They had never met them like as adults to where we could have a conversation. And we sat down and we talked about life and they got to meet my kids. And I shared with Daryl and Kim how much they meant to me at that time in my life, at this time when I felt like I was cynical about family and marriage, um, they, showed, they gave me hope. And so I thanked them in front of my children. And then what was so beautiful is they looked at my boys and they poured life into my kids. And even my kids' friends were there and they poured life into them. They spoke to their faith and they said, you are men of faith and you stay and remain men of faith. You stand up in your schools. You stand up in your college. God's gonna do great things through you. And I watched this circle of like, I was cynical about family. I was cynical about being able to be a good mom. I'm sitting there with the people who gave me hope that it could happen with my family now that exists and who I love deeply. And they start pouring into them. And I just saw what the Lord can do when we give him the things we're cynical about and believe in him to change our cynicism to change our hearts, to soften our hearts. So we're gonna talk about this cynicism today because I think that all of us need hope somewhere. There's something we're cynical about. There's no way that everything in your life has hope just flowing out. There, I'm sure there's something in your life that you're hoping that God will give you hope for. And maybe if you don't know what that is right now, by the end of this message, it's gonna be so glaring that you know what to pray for. So before we even start this morning, I want you to ask yourself, when I was singing that song about hope, when I'm listening to Shari tell this story about her cynical experience and how the Lord changed it, if I look at my life, where do I need hope? Ask yourself that, where do I need hope? So the title of this message is Cynicism. We're talking about killing the things that kill us. And the first thing that I wanna do is define cynicism. So this is kind of a, a Webster slash Wikipedia definition. I kinda took both of them, like made my own. So here's cynicism. Cynicism is an attitude characterized by the distrust of human nature or motivations. An attitude characterized by the what? Distrust of human nature or motivations. So distrust is the key, lack of trust. Something happened to break that trust. Something happened in your life, maybe there was hope for something or in someone, maybe even in God, but something caused you not to trust. And it may have been 
a person, it may have been an event, it may have been a promise that you felt like God made to you and it didn't happen, and so now there's this wall, there's this question, there's maybe mistrust and a place that has no healing. It's like gotten hard and it's a scary place for you to look at. And so I believe that cynicism has to first be fought with discernment and wisdom. Discernment and wisdom. Because I think that sometimes our cynicism can, can feel so big, it's just this wall that we look at, we don't know what is the root. Like what's going on here? Why do I, why am I uh, feeling sketchy? Why am I feeling, um, just kind of putting a wall up, why am I hard in this place, in my heart? Why can't I hope? And so we have to ask the Lord to give us discernment and wisdom to look at those things. So when I look at my life, I think that there are some things that happen with cynicism. Sometimes we meet people in life or we have experiences with people in life and they are not trustworthy. And because they don't treat us well, we don't trust them, okay? And so because of that, we, start, we put up a guard and we just kinda wonder, can we trust anyone or who can we trust? And so sometimes an experience with a person who wasn't trustworthy can cause us to be cynical of everyone. Sometimes it can be an experience in a church with someone who is not trustworthy, and then we just don't trust the church body. And this isn't how it's supposed to stay. So in a situation like that, we had to learn how to create boundaries, but also to learn how to heal. But other times, people are trustworthy. But there are other things that happen, maybe we just don't get along with that person. We just don't have the same personality, but instead we just like, I just don't trust them. You know, we just put up a wall because we just kind of don't get along with them, but it just has to do with personality. It's not anything they've done. Sometimes people are trustworthy, but we have prejudices and unfound beliefs, I mean like beliefs that cause us to not trust them or to not even interact with them. We, maybe we are brought up a certain way Maybe we just don't, haven't ever interacted with them and we're scared of people in general, but we have unfounded beliefs about them that maybe didn't even come from them, but we just, we have them, we've harbored them and we don't know how to get over them. Sometimes people are trustworthy, but we've had a bad experience in the past and it's blinding our ability to see them correctly. These are things that I've noticed. These are things that have caused me to be cynical, specifically with people. And I don't know if you guys have had them too, but this is what I believe. When, I'm, when we're talking about people and learning how to heal from the cynicism that holds us back with people, God gives us tools. And these tools to get over the cynicism, if you wanna have hope, are things like wisdom, discernment, conviction, forgiveness, all of these things help heal the way that we're seeing about these people so that we can get past it. But cynicism will never go away if we refuse to listen to God, to repent, to forgive, and to heal. So we're gonna talk about how to do that. Um, I don't know 
what, what experiences you've had this year. Um, my dad actually died in January, and that's another place that's been hard for me to heal because I was reestablishing a relationship with him, and then he died, and I felt like it was too soon. I felt like he was robbed, that maybe some of the good times that I was gonna get to have with him were taken away from me too soon. And so actually, I'm having, uh, I'm, I'm meeting with a counselor because I don't want cynicism to rule my heart. I don't want the grief and the bitterness of like feeling like my dad is gone, that emptiness of like, gone dad syndrome, I don't even know, I'm just putting a label on something that doesn't exist, but um, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm talking to a counselor to help me to see the things that I'm actually hurting about instead of it being this cloud of sadness or this cloud of cynicism. And you know what he said to me? He said, Shari, you can do things you don't think you can do. When you don't think you can do something, just do it because you can do things you don't think you can do. And there have been days I didn't want to get up and exercise or eat right or like read my Bible or worship. There, are, there have been days that have been really hard for me, depressing things because I feel like I was stolen from or robbed of something that I felt like I could have had. But I don't wanna become cynical and I don't wanna become bitter I don't, I don't want that to be a label, uh, something that holds me back from everything that God has for me. I wanna have hope. I wanna be able to look at other people with a lens that's free and clear. I don't want my situations in life to dictate how I see your life. I wanna be able to look at you and say to, and, and be able to rejoice in all the things that you have. If you have a great dad that's been there your whole life, I wanna be able to rejoice with you instead of resent you. But I think a lot of times we let cynicism stay there and we don't even know why we can't celebrate and rejoice with people, but it's because we're aching inside. There's this, there's this thorn that we haven't removed. And like instead of the thorn being removed, callous like materials build up all around it and it's become hard, but that thorn's still there and it still pricks us, but we won't let the Lord go in and try to take it out. We're just keeping it in there, we're holding it. We're gripping it and we can't enjoy the Lord, the hope and joy that the Lord wants to give us from that healing because we're scared to heal. We're scared to heal and yet we're hurting. We're scared to look at the problem because we're afraid it's gonna hurt. It is gonna hurt, but guess what? The healing will be better than continually hurting. So sometimes we have to look. We have to look at the things that we're scared of. We have to look at it and know that we can do these things we don't wanna do, and guess what? We have a savior who can do even more. Right? Yes. God isn't held back by our cynicism. God isn't held back by our circumstances. God isn't held back by our fear. God isn't held back by our expectations of uh, other people or ourselves. He, he can do anything. He is capable. He made you. He knows you better than anyone else. He can heal whatever is hurting in you. And whatever it is that you don't have hope for, he can give you hope for that. But you may have to heal first. And that is a decision you have to make. So we're gonna look at Mark 14, three through nine. And in this scripture, I love it. I was thinking like, what is a story in the Bible that to me is an example of cynicism holding someone back? And what Jesus can do if you're not cynical 
versus what happens if you are. And so we're gonna read this story about the woman with the alabaster jar who broke it and poured it over Jesus' head as an offering. So we're in this house of Simon the leper and this is what happened. While he, this is Jesus, was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume of pure nard. She broke the jar and she poured it on his head. But some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. Scold her. Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you and you can do what is good for them whenever you want, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priests to portray Jesus to them. And when they heard this, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. In this story, we see two responses to what this woman is doing. We see the onlookers, which is basically the disciples and maybe some few other people, but in other passages, we know the disciples are there. And then Jesus, and this woman comes in and she gives everything she has. Many people believe that this jar of oil was equal to like her inheritance, something that had been handed down to her. So think about emptying your entire bank account if your parent leaves you a will. Like she's just pouring it out, giving it all. She will have nothing after this. And here's what happens. You have the disciples. It says the disciples were indignant in this situation while Jesus was honored. This woman is pouring this out and in response, the disciples are watching and they're criticizing and they're upset and Jesus is receiving it and he's honored. The disciples scold her while Jesus blesses her. And I would even say, I, w- I kinda wish I'd put Jesus protects her. Right? Right? She pours it out, they're scoffing, they're indignant, and he says, you leave her alone. She has done what she could. What could she do in that moment? She could honor the Messiah, She could prepare him for his burial when no one really understood what was going on. She's loving him. What could she do? She gave everything. That's what she could do. Jesus is teaching the disciples in this moment. The disciples are criticizing her while Jesus memorialized her. So let's talk. What does this word memorialized mean? 
Well, Jesus says you will always have the poor with you and you can do what is good for them whenever you want, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be also told in memory of her. In memory of her. He didn't even say in memory of me. He's honoring her in front of these men that he's been teaching about the kingdom of God. These, these guys that are, she probably felt were way more important than her. She's being honored for this sacrifice. And I think the disciples are just blinded. They're blinded by their cynicism. They're watching this happen. They're like, oh, all the money. <laughs> like, what is she thinking? And why are they feeling like this? I mean, we know why Judas was upset. Um, he goes and he's like, we know that he had a reputation for stealing out of the money bag. We know that Judas is, has got it in his heart to betray Jesus and this just kind of triggers him. Like he, basically this instance leads him over the end and he's like, okay, I'm gonna go betray Jesus now. Um, so we know what's in Judas's heart a little bit more than everyone else. So we don't know why the disciples are critical, but we do know this. During the Passover, during this time when they're having this meal, this was a time when you would normally give to the poor. It's like something that was expected, it was traditional. They would give to the poor in order to take care of the people within their own community. It was traditional. And so I'm just kind of trying to think like a disciple. You know, Jesus is like, leave everything and come and follow me. You're not gonna have a pillow or anywhere to lay your head. You know, <laughs> like you won't have a house, you won't have anything. Are you gonna come with me? So maybe the disciples were like, hey, you know, we're poor. And she is pouring this out and they're like, I mean, we could give to the poor, but we could also take that because I mean, we could use it. Why is she pouring all of it? Couldn't we just like dab him on the forehead a little bit, you know? What are they thinking? I don't know. Maybe they didn't have a gift to give for Passover and they were feeling bad and they felt like if she hadn't, if we had sold it, we could have just divided it up. We could have participated in giving to the poor because we don't have anything. Maybe they were feeling the burden of being on the run. Because at this point, they're trying to, like the chief priests, and, they're trying to get Jesus. And so maybe they're feeling like some of this money could have been used to start building this kingdom they're supposed to be building. Who knows? I don't know what lens they are looking through or why they're having trouble seeing the beauty in what's going on, but they are. And I think it probably has to do with culture and religious background, who knows? Here's what I know. There have been times I've been like these disciples. There have been times I've criticized someone for something that they've done because I just didn't understand them and I didn't take time to. Isn't that something we've all done? Criticize other people for what they're doing and we don't even know the motive behind what they're doing? And, and yet what's awesome in this situation is that Jesus sees this woman's heart. She like gives it all. She doesn't hold anything back. And he's like, this is beautiful. And what they don't know is Jesus is about to die a criminal's death. So at this moment right now, he's probably the most like needy person, not needy, not that Jesus is needy. I don't wanna be heretical, but you know what I'm saying? Like he needs this like, 
anointment for his burial. He won't receive this before he's buried. He won't receive any of the normal things that you would do to honor someone before they die. He's gonna die on a cross like a criminal. And she offers this over him. Her entire inheritance is poured over him. This is a beautiful testimony. And I think that sometimes our experiences in life can cloud how we see God. So when I was in college, I don't know how you guys lived in college, but I pretty much had no money. And part of it was my fault because I went on mission trips every summer. So like I came back and I worked all year during college, but then I would raise money and go on mission trips in the summer. I don't regret it at all. I loved it. The first summer I went to Romania for three weeks, uh, the second summer I went to Romania and then Poland, and the third summer I went to Romania and Poland again. So I went with this team, but when um, I signed up to go with this team, this is what they said, literally. They said, hey, so uh, do you want to go on this mission trip? We're gonna go join this team that goes to a different city every night. Let me tell you, thousands of people get saved every week. Hundreds of people are getting, getting healed and we're seeing miracles everywhere, and I was like, huh, okay, like literally, I'm thinking maybe like two people get saved. They're totally inflating this story. You know what I'm saying? Like how do hundreds of healings happen and thousands of people get saved every week, you know? And it wasn't that I didn't believe in God. It wasn't that I didn't believe he couldn't do that. I just had never seen it. I just was like, yeah, that happens like in this century. I mean, it happened in Bible, but you know, what about now? I had a cynical view of what God can do, what he is doing. And it was largely based on my experience. It wasn't even based on what was happening with this team, they'd been doing this for years. And so I go over there and I start seeing some of these things happening. Uh, One night we were staying in this town, uh, it was in the um, county where uh, Dracula was born, the real guy, not Dracula like in the movies, but the real Dracula guy, uh, Transylvania County. It was a very dark county. And there was this man who came to the meeting and he had tried to kill himself multiple times. He would scratch his arms and create wounds all over his body. He would cut himself and he was always bleeding and always hurting. Well, he came to the meeting one night and um, he asked for prayer. His family asked us to pray over him. We prayed over him. He came back two days later, or maybe three, I think it was two, and he had already started developing scars, scabs not scars, that would be really fast, scabs. And so you might say to me, Shari, why is it awesome that he had scabs? Well, but pretty much because he had stopped scratching himself so that his body could start to heal the wounds. He had scabs, he had never had them before because he would just constantly scratch himself and cut himself. He was tormented and his family said he was tormented day and night. He would injure and hurt himself. He would try to kill himself. But for two days after he prayed, he felt free. I mean, who can do that other than the Lord? Who can give you hope like that to live again? Who can do that other than him, amen? Amen. He is the Lord, he heals. And so I saw that happen. We saw many other things happen, but there was this one story of this girl, and the reason why she's tender to my heart is because we we would walk around through the day and invite people to come to the meetings at night, and I remember giving her and her mom the invitation to come. 
And she came one night, and this is a picture of her and her mom, and, uh, and she actually was born with an eye problem, and so from the day she was born, she had worn glasses. And so they came up for prayer, and her mom told us that they were going to the doctor the next day, and the doctor t- was telling them that she was gonna be declared blind. And so the girl asked for prayer and her mom, and so they prayed for her, and then the next night, she came with her mom after the doctor's appointment. This is the next picture of them. And um, she said she could see. They brought the box of all the glasses she's ever worn. It was like from very thin to like super thick. We pulled out a Bible and she started reading it in front of all of us with no glasses. I know. These are amazing miracles, but I think some of the miracles that are the most amazing are the ones that go on in our hearts. Because isn't it hard to see what's going on in there? It's hard to know where we're holding that cynicism. It's hard to let it go. Right? It's hard to find hope. It can be easy to give up. Outward miracles are amazing. They show the power of God, but inward miracles show it too. And I think sometimes we don't go there because it's hard to tell that story because we're hurting. And we don't know how to look at our hurt and we don't know how to face it. But Jesus saw this woman and she saw the offering that she gave and and he used that, I think, to expose the cynicism in the disciples' hearts so that they could see what does it look like to give everything? What does it look like to honor someone who's willing to just say, Lord, I don't know how to heal all this hurt inside me. I don't, can't change my past, but I need you to change who I am because my past has hurt me. People have hurt me, the church has hurt me, my my beliefs about you that were incorrect, they've hurt me and I need correction, I need to be healed. When Jesus says, when he makes reference to always having the poor among them, but not always having him, the scripture he's referring to is in Deuteronomy and I think it can teach us a lot about how to let go. So I want to read Deuteronomy 15, seven through 11. It says, if there's a poor person among you one of your brothers within any of your city gates in the land your Lord God is giving you. Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Instead, you are to open your hand to him and freely loan him enough for whatever need he has. Be careful that there isn't this wicked thought in your heart. The seventh year, the year of canceling debts is near and you're stingy toward your brother and you give him nothing. He will cry out to the Lord against you and you will be guilty. Give to him and don't have a stingy heart when you give. And because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you do, for there will never cease to be poor people in the land. This is why I'm commanding you, open your hand willingly to your poor and needy brother in your land. When they were gonna cancel debts, what Jesus is calling, what the scripture is calling out in Deuteronomy is watch your heart because you're about to cancel all these debts of these people. Every seven years they would cancel all the debts. 
And what, what the Lord is saying in Deuteronomy is don't hold back because you know their debts are about to be canceled. Don't, don't hold them in slavery. In fact, know that you're gonna cancel their debts but give them everything that they need when they go. Don't be stingy because you feel like you're about to have to give everything away. And that's what this woman's doing. She's not being stingy, she's giving everything and she doesn't care. And that's what Jesus is saying, have this heart like this woman right here. Give everything, open your hands, open hands, open hands. Not only toward the Lord for your own healing, but toward other people so that you can help them with theirs. We have to help each other get over cynicism. That's what my campus pastor did to me. His family ministered to me in a way that nobody Nobody could have shown me or given me hope that family could work without me living with them and they opened their home to me. So here's what we have here. We have two lenses we can look through. We have a lens of cynicism or we have a lens of celebration. So as I talk about these two things, I want you to just think about that thing that I told you that you're asking to have hope for? Do you have a lens of cynicism toward hoping or a lens of celebration, believing that God can help you? So a lens of cynicism has closed hands. Closed hands. And closed hands are a symbol of a hard heart and it leads to sin. Think about Judas. Judas had closed hands. He didn't want her to break all of that uh, and waste this alabaster jar of all this expensive stuff. He had closed hands and then his heart got hard and he went out and sinned and betrayed Jesus. Pretty much he's the primary example of the worst case scenario of what happened in that situation. Lens of cynicism. When we have this lens, we cannot heal and we can't help the people around us heal either. We're just walking hard hearts. We don't know how to see through a lens of celebration. But the lens of celebration is different. The lens of celebration has open hearts. Open heart toward the Lord for our own healing and open heart toward other people. Sorry, open hands. Open hands and a tender heart. And these two things lead to our blessing. Look, when you open your hands to get healing from the Lord and to heal you from cynicism, it doesn't feel like it's a blessing at first because Healing can be hard. But here's the thing. When we're willing to heal, we're willing to give like this woman. And this is what I love about this story is that I think the disciples learned this lesson about this woman who Jesus set up as an example. And the way that I know that is because the story is recorded in a way that they don't look they're not presented in the best light, but she's presented like a hero. And so they're saying, Jesus is teaching us we need to be more like her. And they were the religious people who were learning under Jesus. So what I learned from this whole story is that we're all learning lessons. All of us, everyone. None of us have arrived. We're all learning lessons. We all need to clean these lenses that we're looking through. And none of us is free of cynicism, none of us. But we all have the opportunity to listen, to forgive, and to heal. To listen, forgive, and to heal. Cynicism doesn't magically go away. 
It's not like you can just pray and it's gone. I think it takes the hard work of praying and doing these things, listening to God, getting discernment and wisdom, forgiving whoever we need to forgive or letting, forgiving ourselves maybe, and learning how to heal so that we can see through a proper lens of celebration. So I just, man, can we just open our hands as we finish in prayer today? I want us to all open our hands and just have a heart that's open to the Lord. So just open your hands and put them on your lap and we'll close out this service in prayer. God, I thank you, you are all powerful. You are a God of hope. You find hope in our weaknesses. We can find hope in our suffering. We can find hope in you blessing us. We can find hope in the darkness. That's what the song we're singing, Lord, is finding hope in every situation. And that is a lens of celebration. So I pray that you would help us to open our hands to you and have open hearts toward you so that we can be healed and show the world what healing looks like and also show ourselves how great you are. We love you, we honor you, and we praise you. In your name I pray, amen. amen. Thanks, guys. All right. Good word, good word. I told you earlier we weren't gonna sing it, then I'm just gonna send you off. If you're a guest, though, I did wanna let you know uh, we would love to give you a gift. If you walk out of these doors or any of the campuses for that matter and walk into the lobby area, you'll see the red sign area for first-time guests. We have a gift for you. There's also a QR code that you can lock into now and we just wanna know that you're here. Don't worry, we're not gonna come knocking on your door or anything like that. We're gonna respect your privacy, but we want you to know we're thrilled you're here and we'd like to give you something. Secondly, as we wrap up today, we haven't talked about this at all today and it's worth mentioning. Do we have any cheerful givers in the house? Any cheerful givers? Come on. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6 and following. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves, help me out, a cheerful giver. Thank you for your cheerful, cheerful giving. Uh, as we spoke earlier, remember 62 people got baptized, rooted graduates, Kenya campuses, the movement spreading. We're bringing life back to it. If you sow into this ministry, thank you so much. Here are all the ways that you can give to the Lord. We're not passing a basket these days. If you still like to give in person, there are black boxes at all the campuses on your way out. Just drop your offering in there. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, would you guys just stand to your feet? I'm so thankful you came to the house of the Lord today. I hope God has blessed you. Really excited about the next seven weeks as we hit these topics that hurt and hinder us. So we'll see you right back here next week. But until then, may the love of God the Father, may the grace, peace, and mercy of Jesus Christ, may the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit bless, keep, and hold you both today and evermore. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. God bless.